But there was also a lot of chatter about, hey, how do I meet a girl with a cave diving qualification and trimix <laughs> qualification? And, and, and someone said, well, how many are there? And someone looked it up and said, well, I think there's seven maybe now. And then someone said, <laughs> And then someone said, no, 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 there's 112. And then someone just randomly said, no, it's 4,673. And and the next response was, dude, has anyone got the phone numbers? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Two Authors Chat Show, an entertaining podcast with two best-selling authors connecting readers with an eclectic array of distinguished guests through lively conversation and interviews. Hosted by mystery, suspense, and thriller writers, Douglas Pratt and Nicholas Harvey. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I think we've got a fun show ahead of us. Douglas Pratt, what have you been up to lately? Mr. Nicholas Harvey. Well, shoot. Uh, Let's see, I just got back from my boot down in Gulfport where I was Your boot? My boot. That's German. That's German for, like, das Boot. Das Boot. <laughs> yeah, I was just digging around in the bills of doing a lot of boat work, trying to get it ready to do a little, you know, sailing this summer. Had to replace a bilge bump. That was fun. Nothing like running oh, the wire. Sounds lovely. Yes. Yeah. I'd like to figure out how to write it off so I could put that into a chase book, but um, I haven't done that yet. So other than that, I was kind of very quiet week. Um, lovely wife is gone. All my, the house is empty and I, I don't know what single people do. Like, honestly, I sat around and I tried to write and work, but she, without her, I just kind of got all like, I didn't do anything productive. Let's just say that. Isn't that weird? I'm exactly the same way. If Cheryl's away for more than like a day, I'm like lost. I, I feel like I, I, I'm not anchored at all. I, I, it's very strange. I mean, I put pants on at least three of the four days. Yeah. No, I stay pantless the whole time. Pantless the whole time, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, it gets tricky cool. at the market, but. You know. <laughs> it's very tough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what TikTok's for. <laughs> Can you get away with that down there in Bonaire? So. <laughs> yeah, we're in Bonaire. So I think we were uh, transitioning last show. And, uh, oh, you know, we were talking about favorite crustaceans. And I said, I like a slipper lobster. Yeah. Which hopefully everyone Googled and looked at a slipper lobster if they didn't know what it was. We saw one last night. Oh, you didn't Google it? I like, didn't hey, Google come it. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> it so wasn't anyway. in the show notes. You should have put it in the show notes. I might have done it. So you saw one last night, huh? Yeah, we did. We um, we did the. It, it's so great because we're right by the water, right? So we're done with work. She knocks off at five. We kind of wandered down. We we're going to go to happy hour. And then we're like, water looks pretty good. Come on, let's go. So we went and grabbed a tank and our gear and jumped in off the pier and went for a dive. Yeah, it was brilliant. And uh, saw a, a slipper lobster, which was very cool. And a bloody great big tarpon. Oh, wow. Which they uh, they have tarpon around here and they're cruising around big silver things. that look like a chrome one, so. bumper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they have they, they look like a you know, big chrome bumper. And it was getting dusk and then dark. And we were finishing the dive at dark. And we uh, so we had a light. And so all the little stuff comes out in front of the light. And the uh, little shrimpies and all kinds of stuff will flutter around it because they, they get drawn to the light like flies do above the water. And then slightly bigger fish coming. So the tarpon love to come and grab whatever's trying to grab the little stuff in there. So it's bloody great big tarpon. I mean, it was as long as Cheryl. He was a little batshit crazy. He kept sneaking up on us and coming alongside us and then zipping ahead through the, 
through the light. But he was like doing circles and coming back. It was uh, it was kind of eerie. So this is all at night, then. So you're yeah, yeah. Dark, and yeah. we've been uh, we've been in the water with them before. We've been in the water actually with loads of them. But this guy, there was something creepy about this guy. <laughs> he kept getting really close, and he would come straight towards you, like in the last minute, just turn away. I've had sharks do that, and but uh, it was a little funky uh, having a having a top and do it. What's the biggest shark you've seen? How big I tell people, or how big it actually was? <laughs> <laughs> how big would Cheryl say it was? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the lens effect underwater, right? So everything right, looks bigger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably the bull sharks in Key Largo around the uh, uh, the Duane Wreck that were regularly there. There were some big fellas there that were, I'd say, probably 9, 10 feet, which is which is pretty big when they look about 18 feet long when you're uh, in underwater, you know. So. Yeah, biggest I've got was a four-foot four uh, nurse shark once, but that's been about it. So I had a, four, had a three-foot nurse shark turn on me. He was swimming along and I'm kind of following with a GoPro and I'm not like up its butt or anything, but I'm following it. It just all of a sudden whips around and comes at me and charges me. And I said, bonked it on the nose with the GoPro. Wow. And it yeah. turned away and swam off. But it was like, it was doing a hip check on me. It was, uh, which, you know, I was interfering in his world. So it was my fault, but still he got a little bonk on the nose for his trouble. Uh, don't write letters about that, people, please. I didn't hurt them. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. absolutely it's fine. fine. He's fine. I mean, you just booped him, right? Boop. Yeah, I just gave him a little dink. It's pretty funny on the uh, video, too, because the video was running. You got a, get a face full of shark. Yeah. Uh-huh. You should post that on our uh, Two Authors Chat show page. Give me an idea what it looks like. So I should, yeah. If you can find I really don't want all the letters yet, and I don't know where the video is. <laughs> <laughs> all the letters we only have seven people who listen to us out there so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's our moms our wives <laughs> your mom listens really <laughs> yeah she does and she she'll probably be the one that writes the letter <laughs> how dare you leave those sharks alone they're not bothering you that's i think we talked about this before the people who write when i refer to a uh mahi as a dolphin you know the, oh you can't do that you're eating dolphin. You're eating flipper. Yeah, so everybody knows that in, in certain parts of the country, like Florida, that they refer to mahi-mahi as, as dolphin fish and call it dolphin. And it's very confusing for people elsewhere who think, you know, if you're in Seattle going, why are they eating a dolphin? So, okay, what am I working on? I am writing the R.A. Verdi at the moment, which is the next AJ Bailey book. And I'm having a ton of fun starting that. What's really cool is it's, it's a dual timeline thing like I like to do, especially in the Age of Bailey stories. And it's set back in 1976 is when it starts. And the wreck of the Oro Verde has uh, been uh, sunk a wreck there as, as an artificial reef since 1980. And there's a lot of rumor and story behind what that boat was used for and and how it got there and what was on it when it arrived and and what happened to the people. There's, there's loads of... Uh, rumor and what have you and very little actual fact you can find on on the internet which is perfect to take oh, a great. factual yes. <laughs> a, you know part of the facts of this this ship and then invent a whole story behind it Make and i've got the whole back uh, yes that's a perfect for that so. yeah <laughs> yeah and i've got some people being a huge help to me on cayman people who have lived there forever uh, there's a guy called bob soto is is the pioneer of uh diving in cayman and he's very well known in the diving circles, passed away a few years back. But his lovely wife, Susie Soto, is being super kind. And she was around at that time. Bob was really involved in, in uh, 
cleaning out and sinking the ship as an artificial wreck back in 1980. And so she's putting me in touch with people who can uh, give me some info on it. So that's a ton of fun. I've been plugging away on my newest Chase book, which is uh, Golf Dreams still. A little more kind of action adventure going with, with him through the around the Suwannee River in Florida. So it's going to be hopefully some some fun, a little bit of adventure and excitement. So nothing as exciting as sunken ships just yet, but who knows where the story goes. Oh, it will. It will. It'll get there. So, okay. And we're both writing Missing in the Keys, of course, which is our Green Wolf thriller series that we're starting. And it's back with me. You just wrote a fantastic scene for it, which brings us on to our question. And you'll find out why Missing in the Keys ties into that in a moment. So our question of the week from our audience members comes from Wichita, Kansas, with uh, Danica Johnson, who asks, why don't we narrate our own books? Do you want to answer that one for me, Nick? <laughs> yeah, because we suck at it. That's why. <laughs> and <laughs> and as that was an interesting question, and we thought we'd, uh, rather than just tell you we'd suck at it, We'll prove to you it's that we suck at It's obvious if you're already it. listening to this show that yeah, we suck you at this. to the podcast, <laughs> you'd realize we'd be terrible if we had a script. So we have a special guest to help us with this bit, the lovely Kim Breton. Hello, Kim. Hello. And hey, Kim, Kim is the fabulous voice behind AJ Bailey and Nora Summer on the audiobooks for my book. So thanks for joining us. She also us. does the intro for us here. So she's that great voice you hear before you hear... You know, a couple of us just butcher. Yeah, until we destroy world. it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. She is the only professional part of our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All right. So what we've got is we've got an uh, excerpt from the book that Doug and I are writing together, and we're about halfway through it, called Missing in the Keys. On pre-order now on Amazon. You can look it up. Roll up, roll up. Get it while you can. <laughs> That's right. So we're going to do a, uh, what do they call it when it's multiple people reading it? That's well, called something, right? Multicast. Multicast or ensemble. So we're going to try Audio that. Play. I'm going to be reading the narrative. Doug is going to do the American voices and Kim is all going to do Charlie, all the American voices. So you've got to come up with different ones. And Kim is going to do Charlie Green, who is the uh, English, one of the protagonists in the story who's English. I think back to what Nick Thacker said when he said everyone sounds like a sarcastic white guy. So <laughs> this is probably where we're going with mine. Okay. Well, I'm going to kick it off. So uh, are you ready, guys? Mm-hmm. Excited. All right. Very much. Two curving pools sat adjacent to each other with a thatch roof palapa housing the tiki bar between them. Beyond the second pool was the beach and the ocean where a mixture of bronzed and burning bodies lay on deck. I'm already <laughs> laughing. <laughs> bronzed and burning bodies. They got a little red glow to them. On deck chairs in the bright sun. The first pool was well shaded by tall palms, and Grant and Charlie scanned the lounges for the two men from the funeral home. If they were still wearing their dark trousers and shirts, they'd stand out like a sore thumb. No one looked familiar, and Charlie realized they were the two that, the, who were overdressed. As everyone... Everyone, one else. There's a typo. I, just <laughs> I don't think you're even trying. I swear I'm trying. I don't think you're trying. <laughs> you sound like my every teacher I ever had in school. Harvey, you're not trying. As, as everyone else wore a bathing suit of some description. She sat next to Grant, who'd found two empty bar stools under the palapa, and the bartender moved their way. What'll it be, guys? Corona. Corona. Grant replied. 
Anthony. Hey, the professional screwed up. <laughs> I thought I was red. You're purple. You're you go purple. away. You're purple. That's you now. Corona, Grant replied without hesitation. We're sort of on the job here, Charlie whispered. Then in a louder voice, just a water, please. See, already it's like, like I, I feel like I need to start over. It's like, that's the way you're supposed to do it. Like she even moved in and out of the mic to do the, uh, the anyway, oh, yes, yeah. the, the, the bartender looked at her as though he didn't understand the meaning of water. Water, she repeated slowly, raising one eyebrow. Water in a bowl for the dog. Got it. What would you like? I want the bloody water, mate, she said irritably. The bartender shook his head and turned away to get the drinks. Nice going, Grant hissed. Bartenders are the best source of info and you just pissed ours off right out of the gate. Getting pissed isn't going to help anything, Charlie snapped back. That's what I'm saying, Grant reiterated. Then why are you ordering booze at ten past something in the bloody morning? She said, looking at her watch as she realised she had no idea what the time was. Because I don't want the bartender pissed at me, Grant replied, rolling his eyes. Charlie scoffed. Is this one of those American things where you lot buggered up a perfectly good language, isn't it? <laughs> I was enjoying listening to the story, to be honest. <laughs> to do something. Grant looked at her like she had two heads. Pissed means drunk in England, she explained. Pissed off means you're mad about something, but not the mad about something meaning you really like it, the cheesed off type. The bartender set a Corona bottle in a stainless steel bowl full of water in front of Grant and a child-sized glass of water by Charlie. Just let me handle this one, Grant said quietly, shaking his head at Charlie and placing the bowl on the ground before turning to the bartender. Hey, buddy, have you seen a couple of East European guys kicking around, buzz cuts, pissed off looking, he said, emphasizing the word and throwing a glance at Charlie, drinking vodka straight like some people drink water. The bartender replied rhetorically, also giving Charlie a sideways look. Been by the day? Grant asked. The bartender looked back and forth between the two of them. You cops? Grant shook his head. Private. I don't see any trouble. I don't need any trouble in the bar, bro, the bartender said, leaning close to Grant. Reflects badly on us, according to management. Grant slid a $20 bill across the bar, which quickly disappeared under the bartender's hand. Haven't seen them this morning, but... They've been by a few times during the day earlier this week. Word has it, they're here till the bar closes at night, though. Shitty tippers. Loud, pissing everyone else off. The bartender straightened up, wiped the already clean bar top with a cloth, and moved on to another customer. Wrench slurped at the water in the bowl, splashing more of it over the floor and the bar than he consumed. Ew! Charlie complained as her feet got wet. We might have to come back tonight, Grant said, swiveling in his... Stooled face the pool. Swiveling in his stool. I think that's different from on his stool. <laughs> <laughs> on his stool? I mean... Uh, where is he? Where's the stool? I have no idea where... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. And at this okay. point, he's like, okay, we get your point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, folks... That is a fine example of why we don't read our own audiobooks. We don't swivel in our stool. <laughs> oh, I think we swiveled in our stool quite a bit. <laughs> I think that's enough. I think everyone's, I think if anyone's still listening, 
We've lost the church crowd. <laughs> that was good stuff from both of you. There was moments. There was definitely there moments. There were. Well, Kim, thank you very much for coming in and thank uh, you, Kim. Uh, <laughs> demonstrating to everybody <laughs> why we don't read our own audiobooks and you're the professional. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, folks, time to move on to our interview, which I'm very excited about. Uh, this week's show is titled You Go First because we're interviewing Jill Heineth, a tech and cave diver explorer and author of Into the Planet, My Life as a Cave Diver. Yep, she is an amazing record-setting technical cave diver. That's cool. and, yeah, and if ever there's a situation where it's like, yeah, you, you go ahead and go first, I think well, sounds her life has been... Perfect, yeah. Yeah, her life has been a series of that. So let's uh, move on now to the uh, interview. Welcome to the show, Jill Heineth. Hey, thank you. Great to be here with you. I'm geeking out, as I told you before we went on air, because as an avid scuba diver, I've, uh, I ate up your book a couple of years ago. And uh, I, would, I read at night, so I would read in bed at night. And I'd be like, oh, my God, <laughs> I can't put it down. She's in the middle of this cave, like 200 that's, that, feet that's down. That's the way to write a book, too. That's a, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Great. Yeah, it's nonfiction, and it's got a cliffhanger at every, uh, at every page. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm the explorer in residence for the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, uh, but I'm a full-time underwater explorer. So uh, if you want to have a career in the underwater world, you've got to kind of piece it together with a lot of different activities. So I'm a speaker, author, consultant, educator, all kinds of things, like anything that keeps me underwater. Yeah, there's That's no awesome. college courses that go here. Here's a way of making no. you living underwater, right? <laughs> <laughs> No. Yeah, I started this career like pre-internet days. So like, you know, I was writing stories and printing physical photos and mailing them to magazines to try wow. and, uh, to get placed, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you have a graphic arts background, yeah? I do. Yeah. That was my formal education was in visual communications design. So, so yeah, I've just, I've just turned that creative profession to underwater creative professional. Yeah. And it's a dichotomy of right brain, left brain, right? Because the majority. Now, when we say you, you spend your time underwater, you're not swimming. I mean, you do go and swim around the reefs and look at the pretty fishes and what have you. But where you've named, made a name for yourself is tech diving and hardcore tech diving in cave systems, uh, mainly, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and kind of trying to use technology to go to places where people haven't been before. But, you know, your comment about right brain, left brain is right on because, yeah, obviously, like the creative professionals using that right brain. And we all know how we just kind of lose track of time when we're doing something creative or even like spilling ourselves into the computer. But then I've got life support equipment that's extraordinarily complex. And, and so I can't lose track of time. I've, I've got to maintain that life support environment. And that's extraordinarily dangerous. That's probably, I'm actually about, I'm a, um, let's see, I've got about 800 dives recreationally. And I've ventured into the shipwrecks. I, I lived in Key Largo for a while, so I've been all through the shipwrecks there, which is, uh, and that's fascinating to me. And I'm about to start next month a uh, tech course. I'm a little daunted by it, and I'm really excited about it. But that's the big difference between recreational diving, where we go on holiday and jump off the back of the boat and go down to 60 feet, maybe 100 feet, and uh, swim, swim around the reef and come back up, is the margins for the life support, right? Because we don't breathe underwater. 
that's a problem, right? We have to take stuff with us to breathe underwater. <laughs> yeah, but as a recreational diver, a sport diver, you can surface at any time. You just swim up, you know, if you're having a problem. But yeah, you're entering the world of tech diving, and, and we consider that to be a ceiling over your head. It could be a virtual ceiling in the sense that you can't come up because you need to allow your body to, you know, reacclimate to surface pressures. But it could also be a physical uh, ceiling over your head, a wreck or a cave or, you know, somewhere where you can't just call mission control for help. <laughs> so, yeah, you carry more gear, you uh, do a lot more with teamwork and planning. And, and I think you're going to absolutely love the journey. Uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah. It's uh, it'll be the first step. Recreational is down to 130 feet. This will extend me down to 150 feet, um, mm -hmm. and wow. to uh, venture into decompression and stuff. So, let's touch on that. So, for those of uh, that, that are listening that aren't uh, that divers or techie divers, decompression and what that means. Because I think most people have mm -hmm. heard of that term, decompression. But, but in, in as simple terms as you can manage, explain explain that barrier. Decompression illness or the bends, I mean, a lot of people have heard about that on TV, but what it basically is, is like, is thinking of yourself like a bottle of soda pop with the cap on. <laughs> so when you descend underwater, under pressure, the weight of the water, your body stores gases that it can't use. Like we metabolize oxygen, but it has no use for the rest of the stuff in the breathing mix. So it just stashes it away in your tissues in the form of little micro bubbles and as long as you come up slowly on like a predetermined schedule, returning to the surface, then that pressure is relieved very slowly and those bubbles just get sort of breathed away through respirations. But if you swam up too fast or didn't do that necessary time, then you would suffer from decompression illness, which would be the same as sort of ripping the cap off a shaken bottle of soda pop and those bubbles come out of solution and then all of a sudden they lodge in places and can cause anything from itching and pain to paralysis and death. So wow. to put it in Doug's perspective here, Doug, when she says soda can, <laughs> think beer, okay? And there think someone okay, banged perfect, the yes. beer on the table, Bang you know, beer, and it goes, yeah. 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 Okay. When I dropped a beer behind the bar, yeah, I get it, yeah. Yeah, just open it really slowly. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Nick thinks he's got to talk real slow to me because, you know, I'm from the South. <laughs> Nice. We translate for each other sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess we're like three people divided by a common language, right? Right, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and Nick thinks he's always right, so. What do you mean? What do you mean, think? But this is becoming the Canadian show, huh, Doug? We've had. Yes, we've had. Yeah. This is the third or fourth Canadian on. So we've had James Hinchcliffe, Sean Pete, who works in NASCAR. He's their, uh, their ex-high uh, hockey player. So, yeah, we're on a roll with the Canadians. Anyway. Cool. Get, getting back to the uh, banging the soda can or beer, or beer bottle. So when we're talking about the ceiling, you're talking about this physiological ceiling, literally. If you just keep going up, you're going to have a big problem and potentially die. So whether you're in a wreck or in a cave or simply going deep, you have a decompression commitment on those gases. And those margins are super small, right? So if you get that just a little bit wrong on a, on a stop, there's a lot to compensate for that. And some of the depths you're going to, how long are you spending in decompression? <laughs> this is the stuff that amazes yeah. me at the, the real deep depths. Yeah, my longest dive mission is 22 hours. And, and I think wow. it's important to note that 
this stuff is all experimental still because so few of us have actually done this, right? Like, you know, we don't have like mice that we can do testing on that <laughs> that are useful, right? Mice um, in scuba gear. How do you get the thin flippers so to cute. stay yeah. on their little feet? <laughs> what kind of, well, the, their eyes are over here, so you get weird masks, right? That's kind of strange <laughs> right. too, so... <laughs> It is funny, though, like decompression illness was first detected by a scientist that actually saw a bubble in the eye of a snake. So, I mean, there have been like pressurized testing of of animals, but it doesn't necessarily equate to the kind of like schedules that we have to develop for decompression. And and for me as a woman, there's even less information out there because there's so few of us that have done these very deep, very long dives. And, And A, we don't know if the decompression algorithm the mathematics is right and b we also don't know what the what the long-term effects are going to be on our bodies 22 hours <laughs> yeah oh yeah. my god have you figured i was going to ask this later actually but uh, but i gotta ask it now so do you have a routine during decompression stops i mean I, some people read books right they take books down there and read them. oh yeah yeah it's funny because <laughs> i always say you know books used to be made so much better <laughs> 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 like National Geographic magazine was awesome because of the quality of the paper that it was printed on and, and it would really last. Holds up in salt water. That's a good yeah. selling wow. point. <laughs> Even paperback novels like in the day, like like you could take a paperback novel down and you could read it and then you just kind of chuck it in the back of your car and it kind of dries up in this big open mess, but take it back in the water and the paper hasn't fallen apart. But but now, it, you know, I, I'm sure it's much better for the environment now that paper is a little bit thinner and more biodegradable, but it doesn't last through deco anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's a note to self. As soon as I write about diving, I've got to make sure my books hold up on decompression stops underwater. Well, although now you could take down a tablet, right? And you could oh, be yeah. using an, an e-reader or a phone underwater or, or a bone conduction headphones. There's all kinds of other stuff to pass the time now. Oh, but. wow, yeah. <laughs> That's true, because I, I guess you do have, like, things you can listen to at this point, huh? So Yeah, those really long dives for me, like, like although, like, that sounds like a long time. Like, the bottom time, so the working portion of the dive is about five hours, and that sort of balls to the walls, like, hard physical effort. But after that five hours, like, I have quite a few notes that I want to write down while everything's fresh in my head, and so I spend a couple hours like drawing or writing down notes or observations so that I just don't forget. You could write a book, Nick, at the DCOM, maybe <laughs> just stop off and jot notes down and outline a, you know, your next AJ book. So yeah, it could be the whole stories, the, uh, the deep dive and decompression stop. It takes place in 22 hours. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. So one other point I, I want to touch on, and then I'll let Doug get a word in here, but you touched on the fact that the female divers in tech diving. So in recreational sport diving, it's almost an equal mix now, both on the participant side. I mean, it's a couple's sport in a lot of cases, especially in um, holiday vacation areas. Couples go and they both dive, right? So, and it might be still shifted slightly, um, you know, maybe maybe it's um, 60-40, but there's a lot of female participation. And then on the instructor uh, dive guide side, there's a lot of female people involved in that. But as soon as you step into tech, not so much. Well, even in the recreational world, it is still growing. Like, like it's actually in the 30s percentage-wise for women in diving and professionals. Although, if you go to Asia, it's reversed. There's more women in diving than men really? in Asia, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. 
but it's also improving. I mean, honestly, I, I, I remember a time where, you know, I had like 10 women friends in the realm of technical diving and each one of them was in a different country. <laughs> yeah. Right. There, you know, there really weren't many. Like, here's a funny story. Like, when the internet sort of chat rooms were young and fresh, like, there were technical diving chat rooms that started up and we were talking about decompression algorithms and things. And, but there was also a lot of chatter about, Hey, how do I meet a girl with a cave diving qualification and trimix <laughs> qualification? And, and, and someone said, well, Hey, like how many are there? And someone looked it up and said, well, I think there's seven maybe now. And then someone said, <laughs> And then someone said, no, 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 there's 112. And then someone just randomly said, no, it's 4,673. And and the next response was, dude, has anyone got the phone numbers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's a that's a that's a dating app right there. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the real numbers were closer to about seven back then. So yeah. I, I've, I, I've even got a couple of taglines that I'm going to save because of the lack of appropriateness. But I think it'd okay. be. <laughs> no, no, I, no, go. I've, got a, I've got a question. I mean, I, I also am a diver. I'm not. I mean, I'm not as not logged as nearly as many as Nick has. But so uh, generally, most people think it's kind of a relaxing. You're not getting too excited when you're doing, especially recreational diving. But like you dove inside of an iceberg, so. Like, what's that feeling like as far as like, I mean, that's got to get your heart rate going. And you just said you, you yeah. do it too. you're working a lot for that, like a little bit did you down there. So can you give us a little bit of like, insight into that? Yeah. So that was back in 2001 when the largest iceberg in recorded history broke away from Antarctica. And I pitched uh, with my with my colleagues to go there. And we pitched National Geographic saying, you know, hey, we're going to go there and be the first people to cave dive inside an iceberg. And they were like, whoa, there's caves inside of icebergs. And we're like, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, as you can imagine, it was a complete hypothesis. And uh, yet, you know, they funded us. We got down there, made this horrendous, like 12-day crossing of the Southern Ocean from New Zealand to reach the Ross Sea. And then, you know, it took us like 30 days down there before we found what I considered a proper cave system. <laughs> like yeah. We found lots of caverns and overhangs and all kinds of things like that. But I was starting to freak thinking, oh my God, National Geographic gave us all this money. Like We sure better come back with some great cave footage. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was about day 30 when we found this like massive system inside oh, the iceberg. Awesome. And yeah, and, and part of the reason why, you know, there were things that we saw that were like, well, that could be an entrance, that could be an entrance. But but it's scary. <laughs> you bad. know, there's big chunks of ice calving away, like icebergs are in motion and yep. constant flux. So we were kind of getting to know the environment and decide on, you know, what was safe-ish and what we could accomplish. And every day we would kind of rethink that whole safety aspect oh, and, man. Yes. Uh, and move forward in the best way possible. <laughs> and how did that work out? Honestly, I think we had some pretty close calls. Yeah, I, was <laughs> yeah. Say, yeah. I read your book. You almost died. Yeah. I mean, you know, we had experienced calving when we were inside the iceberg, you know, closing the doorway that we got into. We got swept through an iceberg. We got trapped in an iceberg from pinned down by currents. And then, you know, literally hours after my last dive down there, the iceberg we'd just been inside of literally exploded. Wow. And, uh, 
turned into a sea of slush as far as the eye could see. Oh, my God. I knew a little bit about this because I read the book. When the, uh, the guys read the book, it, it, this is the part where I stayed up half the night because I couldn't put it down. She's inside an iceberg and trapped with these currents changing and moving and like they have no idea how they're going to get out now. And it's uh, and you're quite deep underwater as well as being, you know, inside an iceberg. Right? I think that story is what nailed my uh, my contract with Penguin Random House because my, my editor um, was sort of reading my proposal and I guess she... She did sit up all night. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> and she said she woke up cold. She thought she was hypothermic by the morning. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, I bet it was cold. I mean, I, I was like, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, salt water gets colder than fresh water. And so, you know, somewhere in the range of minus 1.8 to minus 3 Celsius. So 27, 28 Fahrenheit, it would, would it be the temperature. So like a tenth of a degree colder and it would be solid. <laughs> that's so chilly, I, believe me. And I'm sure you've got protective gear, but even with that gear on, I mean, you feel that that temperature as well as it, are you so well insulated? Yeah. No, no, <laughs> no. I would say it's never what I would call comfortable. And, and, and on some of those dives, it was awful. Like I had a leaky glove on one of those dives and I, I thought I was going to lose my hand. I just like, it felt like a piece of wood on the end of my arm. Oh, know? wow. Yeah. It was crazy. This is all in dry suits, obviously. And I, I uh, my wife and I did our dry suits uh, to dive uh, Silver Fissure in Iceland. Oh, and, nice. Uh, yeah. yeah. Amazing experience. So, no iceberg. <laughs> it's no iceberg. No. And it was, <laughs> no, it was but like it's one cold. <laughs> It was, it, but it was freshwater and it's, it was one degree above freezing. But uh, I can tell you when I, I got in, I got in and I'm like, hey, this isn't bad. And then I dipped my head under because if you have a mask on and you have a hood that comes kind of around here, and you, but you've got to have room for the regulator. So like all your cheeks are exposed here and literally those parts of your cheeks, it's like someone just smacked you in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's cold. I can't imagine being there for so long. For those that don't know, like why you would want to go diving in Iceland, like Silfra is amazing. It's this, it's crack in between the two tectonic plates. And so you can outstretch your arms and touch North America on one side and, and, oh, wow. and Europe on the other side. And fortunately, those plates are spreading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so it's a, and it's some of the clearest water you'll see anywhere in the world. It's, it's, it's quite stunning. The day we did it, it was a miserable day outside. It was foggy, drizzly, and you couldn't see probably 100 yards out there. So a uh, brilliant chap was the guide for it. It was just my wife and I that took with him. And uh, I'm like, ah, so it's not going to be that great viz today. He said, just wait. Above the water, you could see it, it was hazy. And, and as soon as you dropped below, it was like looking through gin. The only thing that stopped as far as you could see was the fact that there was rocks in front of me, you know, 150 wow. yards away. Phenomenal. It's, it's it's amazing to see further in the water than the air. It's just, yeah, it really throws your, your head into a spin. <laughs> and, and you get a lot of that in the cave diving that you do, right? And it's it's funny. You think cold water is going to be kind of murky, and it, but cold water actually is some of the clearest water you can see through because there's no uh, microscopic life or less microscopic life, right? Well, it depends. I mean, in the Arctic, I've definitely been foiled by incredible plankton blooms, like Plankton right. is still okay. the, the primary production in the Arctic. And so uh, so if you're there kind of at the wrong time or sort of too late into the season, then those plankton blooms um, really, you know, turn it into sort of a greenish murk. But it's feeding the ocean and it's, you know, that plankton is the lungs of the planet feeding the oxygen that we breathe to. Okay, so I've got to ask you this question. You go down inside these cave systems 
below the surface, hundreds of feet, and inside the system, you can measure in kilometers, right, how far you're in. Do you ever have a moment where you're like, what am I doing here? Like, I mean, you are, Absolutely. You are so far from <laughs> civilization, especially some of the places you did in Central America, where even when you come out, you're miles and miles from civilization. You have those moments? Absolutely. And, you know, I always say to people, like, people assume that I'm fearless just because I do things that have a very high risk factor, but I'm neither fearless nor foolish. Like, I'm scared every time I go diving. And that whole pre-dive you know, workup has to be about thinking about, well, what can kill me today and how and will I be able to overcome this? Like, do I have the right people, the right tools, the right technology? Am I current? You know, am I capable of self-rescue? Am I capable of buddy rescue? And if the answer is yes, you know, to all that stuff and I've rehearsed everything and I've got the right gear, then I can set that fear aside for a while. But there's still things that happen underwater that startle you and you know, shake you back into that fear. Your heart races, your your respirations increase, you know, all that happens. And you have to be willing and able to kind of like take that deep breath and take the emotions and set them aside again until they're useful afterwards. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a pretty unique skill. And that's what sets a lot of people aside that do do extreme things. And uh, what you do is certainly extreme. I mean, you set records for this. So uh, it's definitely a slightly different mentality. I've been around it quite a bit in the uh, motorsports background that I have. Obviously, race car drivers, they, I mean, there was this famous old quote for drivers, so, you know, are they scared or do they nervous before? And I, I remember a driver telling me one time when I was a young youngster and I used to get really nervous before I raced, he'd say, if you ever stop getting nervous before you go out there, stop, don't do it. Yeah, quit. I get young divers say to me, oh, you don't want to dive with me? I'm so scared. And I'm like, yeah, you're exactly who I want to dive with. Because <laughs> it means that you care. You know, it means that you understand that you're taking a risk and you want to come home to your family at the end of the day and you're less likely to make stupid choices if you're a little bit scared, you know. <laughs> so I've got a quick question here. So you know some amazing places. So what is like left on your bucket list of I've got to dive there or, you know, I haven't done this yet? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't really have a bucket list because I always feel like sometimes when people have a bucket list, they they approach that thing with like less than the right amount of like risk assessment and equipment and choices and things like that. So I'm always willing to go to the end of the earth and then abort, <laughs> no matter how much money that I've, I've spent. And so the same sort of thing holds true about bucket lists. It's like, it's like, yeah, you know, there's lots of places I'd love to go diving, but you know, my sort of personal, you know, self-assessment or whatever, uh, it doesn't rely on achieving those in my life, I guess. So, I mean, I'd still love to go to the Galapagos. Um, I've never been there. That would be fantastic. But if it doesn't happen, it's okay. I kind of pinch myself every day with the opportunities that I do get. And uh, what's coming up next? Uh, what have you just been doing and what's coming up next? Well, I'm just getting off of like a lot of travel. Um, there's an Australian film company that's actually shooting a movie about my life. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Which wow. is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was traveling quite a bit here in Canada and Mexico, New Zealand and all over the place. So so that's an edit now. So I'm kind of... <sighs> <laughs> Who played you? Do you play... Is it documentary style or is it a feature film style? It's a documentary. Style? Okay, yeah. so you play it's, you. It's a feature doc. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. 
Yeah. So, I mean, we had to do a, a couple reenactments, but there's just a ton of archival stuff of my life that's being integrated into the film. And But the very next thing I'm doing, like in another week, I'm diving a new undisclosed shipwreck in Lake Ontario. Uh, oh, wow. Doing the first, first images and photogrammetry on that wreck. So that'll be... That'll be the very next thing, but yeah. What sort of depth is that? It's not too deep. It's just on the edge of uh, recreational, so okay. uh, kind of cool. The other thing that's really exciting is last year, I had a, a young mentee that worked with me. I took her on an expedition, and we did lots of different work together, including making a short film and doing some science communication work. And so I encouraged her to lead this expedition and she is going to be the leader. Oh, that's cool. How cool. Show up. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be your intern. Can I be your intern? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I met her when she was 14. So when she was 14, she literally like reached out to me and said, Hey, I'm organizing a women, women's dive day. And I've always wanted to dive with you. Would you come? And I'm like, of course I will. <laughs> oh, how cool. That's very cool. Yeah. And uh, so now she just graduated university in you know, environmental studies and water sciences. And yeah, pretty amazing. Great stuff. So alongside Into the Planet, which is uh, biographical or autobiographical, since as you wrote it, you have some children's books. I do. Yeah. The Aquanaut, my most recent is also is pretty much what the story of my life as well <laughs> but for kids <laughs> cool. for yeah. four to eight year olds told mostly in pictures but yeah it was kind of an attempt to reach the really youngest kids and empower their dreams so that's the aquanaut yeah. did you do the drawings for them i sort of sketched out everything but they uh hired a an amazing new york times best-selling illustrator of kids oh my gosh books, jamie kim he's fantastic her work's just beautiful yeah. very cool that's awesome I was going to say, since we're, you know, we talk books anyway, what, what do you like to read then? Fiction, travel logs? Or no, adventure? I, kind of like a, a nonfiction. I love reading biographies too. Like I love, you know, adventure stuff. I read a lot of mountaineering things. Oh, like yeah. One of my, yeah, one of my favorite books is uh, Touching the Void by yeah. Joe um, Simpson. Yes. Yep, I've read it. Yep. Yeah, that's exceptional. But yeah, I have pretty much a nonfiction science reader yeah okay yeah i i got to meet ed vistas uh a few years back and i've read all of his books and he's a he's a pretty inspiring individual yeah i mean there's so many similarities in terms of like how people take on risk and teamwork and mountaineering too yeah it, it's very similar it's a lot of what you were talking about and actually i was listening through some of your podcasts which you have with uh, um, your husband correct and it's called into the planet so wherever you find this podcast you can find Jill and her husband's podcast, which is uh, fun to listen to. Yeah, I was listening to to some of those, and a, a lot of your approach to things and your approach to diving is very similar to high altitude stuff. And also, I guess it's any extreme sports, but my motorsports background, I was registering a lot of things. Uh, I think uh, if you'd chosen a different path, you probably would have been a pretty darn good race car driver. Actually, you've got all the <laughs> all the pieces in place to do that. So, I hate driving. <laughs> That may have well, may have been a that, hiccup in the road. Have, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that no, may have stopped know, the career. It's, it's so funny. 
What I dislike about driving is all the other people who are out of control. Oh, I am. Me. So, so race car you. driving probably be okay. Oh but yeah. But years ago, I did a, a feature article with Volkswagen Driver Magazine because I had a <laughs> Volkswagen van, and they went, "Oh, well, here's an interesting user." <laughs> so I took the huh. uh, the journalist on an intro to cave class because he was a uh, a diver already, and he was really interested in learning the cave dive. And during his intro to cave diving class, he quit <laughs> and gave me all his equipment and told me to find some young person who could use it. <laughs> so wow. I completely traumatized this journalist. And and then he asked me, well, what scares you? And I'm like, driving. Babe, <laughs> <laughs> but you came out of it neutral because you scared one guy off, but he gave you his gear to give to somebody else to start them. So you came <laughs> out neutral. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> And you probably gave him to gave all the stuff to uh, a female diver, right? I did, in fact. Yeah, Perfect. that young girl. See? Yeah, yeah. It worked, it worked out. out fine. All right. This has been fantastic, Jill. Yeah, Thank you great. so much. Um and my um, pleasure. Yeah, teach me to uh, cave dive. I did a cabin course in the Cenotes in Mexico, my wife and I did nice. and I, I loved it. So uh I was gonna say yeah, that'd be fun. Hand, hand and yeah. out. Yeah. It was amazing. And so next time <laughs> you want to uh, intro to cave, I'll come along. I promise you won't uh -huh. scare me off. All right. I say that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it my 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 job is to scare you when you take a cave diving class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could we do a podcast at Decom while we're while we're waiting? Just like you know, talk about. Oh, like a, if we can figure out how to wire ourselves to the surface, that would be amazing. Do a podcast from like decompression stop, or at least a safety stop. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, so so behind Doug is this uh, interesting looking wheel, which is something we do uh, with oh, everybody. Yes. He's going to spin that sucker, and we have a set of silly questions on there, and he's going to ask you one of them. Okay. And we, yeah, we do the just for the sound effect. So it was. Sounds like I'm going to win something. It does. Uh -huh. You're not. Yeah, oh, just well, so you know, one, you're not. This, this might be interesting for you, but what was um, your worst job? I mean, given that you go uh. into an uh, iceberg, caved and exploded, I want to hear what your worst job ever was. Yeah, what do you classify as bad? <laughs> My worst job. I can't think of one that feels unpleasant other than having to work anywhere indoors. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's fair. I've had weird, weird jobs. Oh, I, weird uh, jobs are good, you yeah. Know, yeah, give us a yeah, weird job. Collecting extinct crocodile shit. Uh, <laughs> called corporalites yeah, yeah yeah that's interesting yeah <laughs> nick's just going what <laughs> <laughs> well we we, um, we try and make our show educational at some point in it so what's it called yeah. corporalites corporalites yeah, uh, yeah so um, fossilized they, crocodile shit is corporalite. Yeah. yeah yeah and then they they um you know, they can dissect them and see what the crocodiles were eating back in the day, that kind of thing. That job <laughs> is worse than the collecting. I'd rather shovel crocodile shit than take it apart. And yeah, so be, that wouldn't be fun well, at all. Well, like I've had a worse shit experience underwater where... Um, oh, 22 I hours, I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that's called the Speleological Society of Suit Soilers, the <laughs> S4. But, but no, I, I once had a, a bull humpback, like after an incredible whale experience, like many hours long with with many dozens of humpback whales, a bull humpback came right by me, swiped his tail fluke within a millimeter of the dome of my camera, and then let out like a massive, like multi-ton shit. <laughs> 
um, with, that I was then swimming through. So I think that was his sign to like leave his wife and baby alone. <laughs> that's what the oh. humpback whales think of you. <laughs> well, I've wow. never been so happy to swim in shit. It was hilarious right, at, the, yeah. at the time. But yeah. I've had some, I've had some, in shit. I was going to say, I've had some jobs where I felt like I was swimming in shit, but not literally. So yeah, that's, literally. <laughs> yeah. That's, we, we'll leave on that note. That's a great <laughs> note to let off on. Jill, okay. thank you so much for thank joining you us so on much. the show. Thank you. Nice to join you. Oh, thanks for listening, everyone. That was a hilarious show. Great, great information there. Uh, it was fun to have her on. <laughs> yeah, we certainly, it's educational. Our show is educational, if, people. If, if, if you think the two authors chat show, you think swimming in shit. <laughs> That's going to be our new tagline. <laughs> Have you been swimming in shit lately? Listen to the two authors chat show. That's exactly All right. right. <laughs> Folks, remember to subscribe to the show so you can get some more of this. And please give us a five-star review. I'm begging you. Just put five stars down. Just throw, throw us a bone. Check out the show notes for cool links to our books and social media and Jill's stuff. Into the Planet is the name of her book. Grab it. Read it. It's fantastic. And uh, support the show by buying or gifting our books. We don't have a Patreon or anything uh, going right now. So the best way to support us is by uh, buying our books. Uh, we appreciate it. Awesome. And yeah, next, uh, our next episode, we're going to have a thriller author, uh, Ernest Dempsey, who uh, does some archaeological thrillers. Exciting stuff he writes. Hilarious guy. I think you'll enjoy him a lot. All right. Until then, be cool to each other. Yes, and fair winds and follow and see. You've been listening to the Two Authors Chat Show with Nicholas Harvey and Douglas Pratt.